0: listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the
1: podcast. Jesus once asked his disciples, "Who do you say that I am?" Peter answered, You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus affirms Peter's confession, but then he does something unexpected. He begins to tell Peter who he is. He gives Peter a new name, a new role, a new mission, a new lease on life. This principle holds true today to know Jesus is to be known by him and to be known by Jesus is to know ourselves our truest selves our purposes our desires our fears our strengths our weaknesses our truest identities all made seen
0: Well, good morning again, everyone. Good morning. Today, in the traditional church calendar, is the feast of the baptism of the Lord. So it's the day that we kind of celebrate Jesus' baptism. Now, the fact that Jesus got baptized wasn't always kind of uh, good news for certain Christians. They kind of struggled with the idea that Jesus was baptized because you know that John was baptizing in the Jordan for repentance of sins. Well... Why was Jesus getting baptized then? And so the Gospels kind of do different things with that story, and early Christians did a variety of different things. One of my favorite is actually in a book called The Gospel According to the Hebrews. And in it, the the siblings of Jesus come to him and say, John is baptizing in the Jordan for forgiveness of sins. Let's go and be baptized. And Jesus said, why do I need to go? (laughs) I like that one, right? So that that didn't make the canon. It didn't make the you know the A list. Um, but but I still like it. You can you can see that they're struggling with it, and you can certainly see why they might have struggled with it, right? So our passage today comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, and you'll hear in kind of Matthew's telling of the story that he too is trying to justify this action just a bit. This is Matthew three. It says. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. So you can see here in Matthew's account, he's not just coming, or when he does come, John kind of protests, like, Oh, wait a minute. Like, we've got this out of order. Maybe you should baptize me instead of me baptizing you. And Jesus is like, it's going to be okay, John. Don't worry. We're doing this to fulfill all righteousness. So suggesting that maybe Jesus' baptism is not quite the same as ours and that there's no sin that needs to be forgiven. There's no repentance on Jesus' part that needs to kind of happen. But this, this account is actually quite important, I think. And it's the re- there's a reason that um, at the beginning of Epiphany, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, and now a couple of millennia, the church has been marking this day to kind of celebrate this event. There are three in particular things that I'd like for us to kind of consider just for a few minutes. The first is this idea of creation. So in the beginning, God created, and he created the heavens and the earth. And God said it was good. But we know that creation had all sorts of kind of ups and downs and ins and outs. And there were all sorts of kind of problems along the way, right? There's that one character, the serpent. I don't know what that guy's up to, right? And there's uh, Adam and Eve, and they're doing all sorts of things maybe they ought not do. And you see that that creation is a little kind of red and tooth and claw, right? It's... it's it's got its issues. The early church imagined that creation in the beginning was like its infancy, that it would eventually grow up, but in the beginning it was innocent and it was young. I mean, let's just think about it. Like the first humans, we're told, are running around in a garden naked. And I'm like, mm, that's not for me. <laughs> right? But there are people in our lives that do often run around naked every chance they get. Now, let's think about it for a minute. Now, who, who do I know that might do such a thing? Well, children, right, toddlers. They, clothing seems to be optional for them, right? You, you, all, we're all too old now to remember ourselves at that point, but we've heard stories of ourselves, right? Or we've had our own children. And Children who don't even know that they need to wear clothes also don't know right from wrong, right? They have to be taught right from wrong. It's not something that's innate to us. So this kind of created order, even the first creation, uh, to, to quote one theologian, was good but not perfect. It, it needed to grow up a bit. These first humans needed to grow up a bit. There were things to be happening. So part of what was going on in that original creation, it seems that God is providing us a certain amount of order over and against a certain amount of chaos. And so when Jesus comes up out of this water and it says that the heavens are open to him, that kind of language in Hebrew thought is creation language. So that what God is doing in this event is similar to what God had done in the beginning. That in in the beginning, God had created, and in the baptism of Jesus, God is offering us a new creation. And later, the prophets will speak of this as a new heaven and a new earth. Paul will talk about us being new creatures, that something more has happened now, something, some kind of uh, extensive kind of value added has, has happened. So... We all live in the world that is part of that good, but not perfect world, right? We, we realize that it's broken in various ways. We see, particularly, there's been a lot of natural disasters that seem to have kind of hit us hard lately. The tornado recently in Huntsville, we were praying about that this morning. The earthquake in Puerto Rico. Soraya, it's good to see you back. Glad, glad that you're well. Uh, the fires in Australia, yeah? So we realize that there's a fair amount of chaos, naturally, and then we also experience chaos in our own kind of personal lives, right? We've been uh, talking in January as kind of a human trafficking month, and we're, we're talking about our own sense of need of personal awareness and kind of mental health care, right? We live in our own kind of sense of chaos. And it is on us sometimes, and it's on us kind of heavy, yeah? But I think what this story is telling us, at least part of what this story is telling us, is that chaos is one of God's favorite places to do things. So in the beginning, God started in chaos and made an order out of it. And then with Jesus, once again, this new creation, Jesus can come, and in the midst of our chaos offer us something new in the midst of our chaos, the, the chaos of the world or the chaos in our own personal lives. So creation, I think part of, that's part of what we're celebrating in the baptism of Jesus. The next, the next idea I want to think about just for a few minutes is this idea of solidarity. So as we said, Jesus didn't need to be baptized for repentance of sins, But nevertheless, Jesus is baptized, and it is in Jesus's baptism that he finds solidarity with us. Our God is not a God who's kind of distant and far off. Our God who is very close, knows us better than we know ourselves, and is not just sending us out to do something, but is wanting uh, wanting to be with us, even in the midst of our brokenness. So I love, we've we've talked about this some before, but I love the way the theologian and pastor Bob Ekblad talks about baptism, that there are various other kind of heroes of the faith that often get kind of saved from the chaotic waters, right? You get Noah, right? Noah is in the ark and he's saved from the flood. And you get Moses kind of multiple times over, right? Moses as a child is in the little basket and floats down the Nile, and he's dry and safe. And then, of course, the story of the parting of the Red Sea, right? Once again, Moses is dry and safe. That story gets retold again in a certain way at the end of the Exodus, at the end of the wilderness wanderings, as they come once again dry across the Jordan. But Jesus is altogether different than that. Jesus kind of goes down into the water, and down there under the water, Jesus identifies with our death, with our brokenness, with our enemies, with Pharaoh and all his army who got drowned by the water, with us and everything that we've done that is also broken or harmful or evil, right? All of that Jesus is down there under the water. And as he comes up, right, so we come up. So Paul will talk about our baptism as kind of being identified with Christ. We're identified with his death, and then we're identified with his resurrection. So we practice baptism. In fact, we're going to have a baptism service on February the 9th. And if you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you to do so to kind of make that public statement of faith. That Jesus has pronounced his solidarity with us, and now in return, we can pronounce our solidarity with him. That he's our brother, right? He's our Lord, he's our savior. And so we get this sense of creation, and we get this sense of solidarity. The third point I want us to think about just for a bit is, is this idea of identity, like who we are. So sometimes we'll speak of Jesus as Jesus Christ, yeah? Although sometimes scripture will talk about Jesus as Christ Jesus. So it sounds a bit like maybe that's two names. You know, sometimes it's your first name first, and other times it's your last name first. You ever fill out those forms, like your last name first? And so, like, Jesus' name is Jesus Christ, unless we put his last name first, and then he's Christ Jesus. (laughs) But, of course, that's that's not what's happening at all. Christ is a title. Jesus is his name. Like, we all have names. Today we're wearing name tags. Uh, We're actually going to do the name tag wearing kind of throughout Epiphany. Because not only do we want the manifestation of who God is, but in that manifestation of who God is, is the light that we walk in, that we see who we are. And hopefully, we can have an epiphany, a, a revelation of who we really are. Because who we really are is, is not our mistakes. Who we really are is not our accomplishments. Who we really are is who we are in Christ Christ. It's we are God's child. We are the children of God and therefore co-heirs with Christ of the kingdom. And that identity, I think, is, is quite important. And that's what we find here, is that we are identified with Christ in baptism. And in his baptism, Christ is identified with the rest of humanity. And he gets a title that comes here, right? A voice comes from heaven that says, This is my son. So, son is not a name, but it is a title, and we all have that too, right? We have our names that we go by. I'm Robbie, right? And I'm Red, and I met some of the rest of you that are wearing red name tags. But then I'm, I'm also other things I'm Pastor, I'm a Dad, I'm a Honey. I mean, sometimes.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm brother. I'm uh, Dr. Waddell, I'm at the college, yeah? And so we have not just like proper names, but we also have titles, but those titles aren't necessarily always super formal. They often are just expressions of endearment, right? Expressions of love. Like I called my mom, Mom, not Sue. But it wasn't informal so much as it was just loving. It was caring. And that's that's this identity that we find in Christ. And in particular, something else is happening here, right? The the heavens are opened up to him, and he sees uh, the spirit like a dove descending on him. This kind of descent of the Spirit is this idea of anointing, like that the Spirit is coming on him. Well, to be anointed is, like the word Christ means anointed one. It, it's the one who's chosen, the one who's chosen to be the king, the one who's chosen to be the deliverer. And so it's at Jesus' baptism, I believe, that he is kind of becoming the Christ or at the very least he's being announced as the Christ. So he was born Jesus, he was born son of God, but the anointing, the, the the coming on of the spirit seems to be happening here in a special way for him to play out his role. And I think the same thing happens to us. The same thing happens to us in some ways in our baptism. Right? That we come to faith, we we profess our faith in Jesus, we are baptized in the water, we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit rests upon us so that we too can live out our new identities. But there's something particularly interesting about Jesus' identity that is revealed, I believe, in a prophecy in Isaiah. And it's a passage in Isaiah that, again, traditionally the church has paired with this story in Matthew's gospel about the baptism. This is Isaiah 42. Here is my servant. This is the Lord God is speaking, Yahweh speaking. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I have taken you by the hand and kept you, I have given you, he's speaking here, I think, to the promised one, to the the Messiah. So, what will this king be like? What will this Christ be like? He'll be one who brings justice, but he'll bring it in such a way that the bruised reed he won't crush, that the smoldering wick he won't put out, and it'll go to all nations which is good for us, because you realize it was not originally written to Americans, (laughs) right? So if it was originally written, this part of Isaiah, probably to the southern kingdom of Judah, right? We should be, of all people, most glad that it's inclusive of others, because we are part of those that it gets included in, yeah? And so that's the identity of the Christ. He's the one who doesn't crush the bruised reed. He's the one that doesn't uh, quench the smoldering wick. He's the one who brings justice, righteousness. He makes broken things whole. And I love how that passage ends where it says, yeah, the things in the past have come to pass. The past is the past. But God is bringing something new. So I'm not sure what your recent past has been. But I know that our God has promised to bring something new. And that is where we place our hope. That's where we place our trust. That's where we lean into. That's what we celebrate when we come to the table. In various ways, right? Because the table is both a remembrance of what the Lord has done and it's also kind of a foretaste. It's looking forward to what the Lord will do. Did any of you grow up in those churches that had the communion table and then etched into the front of it it said, do this in remembrance of me? Yeah, that was, mine. That was our table too, right? So do this in remembrance of me. That's when we're kind of looking back at what the Lord has done. And one of my seminary professors, she liked to say that when you came to the table of the Lord, you should imagine yourself looking down one long table and seeing all those people who have been in the faith. Not just like Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, or Paul or Peter or John, or Augustine or Irenaeus or Aquinas or Luther or Calvin or Wesley, but like your grandparents, your your aunts and uncles your your pastor the ones that you have known but have gone on to be with the lord and that you should then turn and look down the other way in our imagination and see all those others who will one day sit at the table of the lord our children our children's children our children's children's children because this is the table Those who come are in Christ. And they include both those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ. And we come and we find that there is new creation here. We find that there is solidarity here. And we find here, we find our true identity in none other than Jesus the Christ.